Tuesday morning to you, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon Podcast. Since it is Tuesday, this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode several years ago. Thanks for downloading, and I sure hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on October 10th of 2011 under the headline, Rascally Sea Captain Was Like a 19th Century Han Solo. Here we go. There was no reason why the U.S. Marshal should have to spend the night on board the Jenny Jones, this cramped, smelly little freight schooner he was in charge of. After all, the ship was anchored in a semi-civilized town, Stilicum in the Washington Territory, and there were several decent hotels there. The next day, he'd have a few hours' cruise to Seattle, where the ship would be sold to pay off the debts of its owner, Captain James Jemmy Jones. Got that? Jenny Jones was the ship. Jemmy Jones was the skipper. Confusing, yes, but back to our story. It seemed that the previous year, when the ship was aground on the deadly Columbia River bar, Captain Jones had thrown a bunch of freight overboard to lighten the ship and float it free of the sand. The freight's owners in Portland had been able to convince a judge that it was through Jemmy's recklessness in choosing to cross the bar without a pilot that this had to be done. This was probably a miscarriage of justice. The reason there were no pilots available was because conditions in the open sea beyond the bar were too dangerous to send one out. In any case, Jones had shown no sign of complying with the judge's order to pay up, and now the government had seized his ship. It had been easy to seize, too. Jones had gotten himself into some trouble in Canada just before the marshal moved in. At that very moment, he was languishing in a jail cell up in the town of Victoria, far off in the north. By the time he made bail, his ship would be history and his debts would be paid. At least, that's what the marshal thought as he checked into his hotel room for the night. What he didn't know was that Captain Jemmy Jones, one of the rascaliest skippers in West Coast maritime history and one of the most resourceful as well, had escaped. With the help of some friends, he had tarted himself up in a dress and bonnet, strutted unnoticed past the guards, and then actually paddled across the Strait of Juan de Fuca in a canoe, across 11 miles of open sea. That's 11 miles at the narrowest point. If he was leaving from Victoria, he probably did about 20 miles. Open sea, February, in a canoe, to get home to the U.S., And that's where he learned that his ship had been seized by the U.S. Marshal's office. Time to give up? Well, not for Jimmy Jones. The intrepid, or maybe just desperate, captain had headed down to Olympia, found his repossessed ship, and booked passage on it as a passenger. So, unbeknownst to the Marshal, Jimmy had been on board the whole time. It's tempting to picture Jemmy with a hat pulled low over his forehead to hide his face, kind of furtively watching and smiling as the marshal stepped ashore and walked out of sight. The marshal left the ship in charge of his assistant, and when early the next morning that assistant went ashore to talk to his boss about something, leaving the ship wholly unsupervised, Jemmy saw his chance. After getting reacquainted with the schooner's crew, the wily skipper got right to work implementing phase two of his most audacious plan ever. Well, one of his most audacious plans, anyway. That was the theft of his own ship, right from under the nose of the law. But first, 
let's talk a little background. Welshman James Jemmy Jones had come to the West Coast in 1849 for the California Gold Rush. He'd been lucky in the gold fields, and soon he had a grub stake together big enough to outfit himself with a freight ship and go into business as a skipper, which is something that he had always wanted to do. The trouble is, as a sea captain, Jemmy turned out, well, he turned out to be a marvel, frankly, in a 19th century Han Solo kind of way. Historian James McCurdy calls him a, quote, veritable stormy petrel, always in some trouble or another on the high seas. Five of his ships sank or broke up under his feet. His third shipwreck earned him a place in the geography books when he crashed his schooner into a small island right in the harbor at Victoria, the island that today is known as Jemmy Jones Island. The incident on the Columbia Bar, had it gone the way such groundings usually did, would have been a shipwreck as well, and given the survival rates for ships broken up on the bar, probably his last. Now, that incident on the bar may have been Jemmy's inspiration for the innovation that would put him in the history books as well as the geography ones. Crossing the bar in a sailing ship was, and still is, a very dangerous endeavor. The area is peppered with wind shadows in which a sailing ship can suddenly find itself drifting becalmed at the mercy of the currents, which run about five to seven knots and run right across sandbars that are too shallow for a ship. Steamers had a much easier time staying in the channel, but their big paddle wheels got in the way and made all but the simplest sailing moves impossible. But a new kind of propulsion system had recently been invented, the screw propeller, and that solved that particular problem. So why not put a steam engine in the sailing ship? And so it was that in 1864, the Jenny Jones became, as far as I know, the first ship of the type that would become known as a steam schooner, a trim wooden sailing schooner with modest steam engine below decks. Jemmy had invented probably the most important type of ship in the history of the West Coast. You'll sometimes hear the invention of the steam schooner credited to a, a less disreputable innovator who did the same thing to a lumber schooner in San Francisco 15 years later, but that's simply incorrect. Jemmy did it first. Actually, Jemmy himself may not have been the first to do this. Historian Gene Barron, an expert on the West Coast steam schooner fleet, says there were a number of steam-powered steam fishing schooners in British Columbian waters right around the same time. This could explain where Jemmy got the idea for his ship, but it also casts some doubt on the claim that Jemmy's was first. As with so many things from the 1860s, we'll probably never know. But with his innovative new power setup, Jemmy started making profitable runs from Portland to Victoria late in 1864. But apparently, he, they weren't profitable enough. He wasn't making the money fast enough to pay his Portland creditors, or perhaps he just didn't want to pay them. They'd called upon the law to help them collect. And as a result, if Jemmy Jones wanted his schooner back, he was going to have to steal it. And still come that day, Jemmy got busy doing exactly that. Having a steam engine on board made Jones' escape from the marshal at Stillicum that much easier. They must have been building steam already for the day's journey to Seattle, or perhaps the crew had been secretly getting ready all along. In any case, as soon as the long arm of the law headed off to breakfast, the Jenny Jones headed off to the open sea. The reaction of the lawmen when they saw the empty slip where they'd left their 95-foot, several-hundred-ton charge is lost to history. Perhaps it's just as well. Meanwhile, Jones and his crew were out at sea with very little fuel in the bunkers and not much food in the cupboards, and they were now wanted men in both the U.S. and Canada. 
Jones managed to get the ship to Port Ludlow, where they loaded a couple cords of firewood on board and cast off again quick. The load was enough to get the ship to Nanaimo, which Jemmy apparently hoped would be remote enough to not yet know him as an outlaw. No such luck. Although they didn't try to arrest him at Nanaimo, neither would they sell him coal. So instead he hired some Native Americans to help him load about 12 tons of coal dust from a nearby abandoned coal dump. Another stop at a third port brought a big load of cordwood to mix with the coal dust and the Jenny Jones was ready for the open sea. And for Mexico, the only country in North America that didn't have a warrant out for his arrest. Along the way, the outlaw mariners encountered a waterlogged sloop, the Deerfoot, whose exhausted crew of three had been laboring mightily trying to keep her afloat and were steadily losing the battle. The crew begged to be taken off, and Jones was quite happy to oblige. He also took off the sloop's cargo of food provisions. With that, the crew of the little steam schooner had everything they needed for their journey. Under sail and steam both, the Jenny Jones headed south and arrived in Mexico 25 days later. There, Jemmy started running freight again, but after some labor-related drama involving the rescued crew of the Deerfoot, you know, the sloop that they rescued, um, in which someone stole the rudder off his ship, Jemmy gave up in disgust. He sold the Jenny Jones for $10,000 and headed for home. When the ship Jemmy was on got to San Francisco, he stepped boldly and casually onto the shore as if he had nothing to hide, nothing to worry about, not a care in the world. Of course, he was arrested almost immediately when the authorities realized he was back in town. The records are silent on this, but one imagines him as an unworried, confident, little bit cocky, like James Garner's character in the Rockford Files. In court, Jemmy's defense was that he had not actually escaped from the marshal. Rather, the marshal had abandoned his charge, and he, Jemmy, finding it unattended there in the harbor, had simply recovered his property. The judge agreed. The case was dismissed, and Jones's creditors had to sue the marshal for their $4,600. I haven't been able to learn if they got it or not, but those guys carried bonds, so they probably did. Jones was also arrested and tried on criminal charges in Stilicum, but acquitted. The Jenny Jones, the ship, disappeared into obscurity in Mexico. Perhaps she was simply too ahead of her time. Another steam schooner would not be built until roughly 1880, at which time the type would revolutionize West Coast transportation. As for Captain Jemmy, he moved back to British Columbia and for years skippered a small schooner, not a steamer this time, called Industry, aboard which he almost died in a fifth and final shipwreck in 1878. He died a few years later, in his early 50s, after having become mentally unhinged. It must be said that in Jemmy's day, most often men in late middle age went crazy and died. It was because of syphilis. Christopher Columbus was the most well-known example. I have not been able to determine if that was the case with Jemmy Jones or if something else, head trauma for example, or perhaps alcoholism, caused his demise. But most people will agree that the world was a less colorful place after he left it. Key sources in this story have included works by John T. Walbrin, E.W. Wright, Gordon Newell, and James McCurdy. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. More info is at our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulp Lit Productions, a boutique publishing house about which more can be learned at pulp-lit.com. Speaking of which, if you enjoy listening to me, you might check out some of my audiobooks. You can find them most easily with a search for my name on audible.com. 
Most of them are old pulp stuff, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, etc., but at least two of them are offbeat Oregon history type stuff. Check them out if you're so inclined. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Organ History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.